unpacking the EU migration and asylum pact, how to make it work amid this sharp rise in uh, migration. Welcome to the EPP group talk here in the European Parliament in Strasbourg uh, on this issue. And joining us are two MEPs who are on the Libe Committee. That's the Civil Liberties, Justice and Home Affairs Committee. Uh, Lena Dupont from Germany, EPP uh, Group Vice Coordinator, that's Deputy Spokeswoman uh, on, uh, on uh, Libe issues, and uh, also Jeroen Lenners uh, from the Netherlands, who is EPP Group Coordinator or Spokesman. And uh, give a bit of background here from Frontex, uh, their uh, figures are irregular uh, entries into the EU rose about 20% in the first eight months of this year to over 230,000. And in that figure, uh, the, the crossings across the cent to the central Mediterranean, uh, I think Lampedusa, doubled, nearly doubled. Uh, the UN International uh, Organization for Migration, IOM, uh, lists 2,800 dead or missing, uh, mostly in the central Med Mediterranean so far this year. Quite tragic. In the meantime, we have this migration pact. Uh, that would distribute asylum seekers among the EU 27, and if any country refuses, doesn't want to take them in, they have to pay a certain amount uh, for each migrant that is not taken in, that is taken in in, in another EU country. So uh, let's get to the crux of the matter. First, talk about how serious this is, and let's talk to Lena because you were on the ground uh, in, in Greece, in, in Lesbos, for instance, the, the island of Lesbos, that takes in a lot of migrants. Uh, how serious was the situation when you saw it? Well, actually, we're discussing a bit the situation back then, I would say, because in the meantime, a lot of things had happened, uh, especially on the Greek islands, uh, yeah. with the support of the European Union. Um, but we see that at different spots at the European external border, for sure. So you can draw some lessons from that. First of all, when I was on the ground, it was shortly after the um, burning of Moria. So a really devastating situation for the people on the ground. But at the same time... That was a reception center or a... It was a reception center, yes. That burned um, down. That was, yeah. that was burned down, apparently, by um, um, refugees, by asylum seekers themselves. Yeah. But it, of course, was a hint at the very um, tragic situation on the ground um, unfolding there. Right. Um, which was one of the causes why the European Union decided to step in in order to get um, um, support, um, also from the local uh, authorities, but especially in cooperation with the Greek government, the then Greek government, because there was a change, a yeah. very important change in government in the meantime, uh, in order to cooperate better and to build up facilities which are up to our standards. And right. you really are, uh, and I've seen one of them on, on Samos, so another Greek island uh, as well, where we also had devastating um, experience on the ground, but with a new reception center, with the new buildings and with a new concept that is behind it, we really are at the forefront of addressing um, uh, not only um, the most problematic issues, but also guaranteeing that everything that comes out of, of reception is up to the European standard. Okay, so there's a major effort by the yeah. EU to make this work and also with this new migration pact. Um, Yedun, tell us about this migration pact. Uh, you know, I, I briefly mentioned it. How long? How long have you got? Yeah, I know that's the thing. Not, not, not much. So this is <laughs> uh, top line, man. I mean, yeah. the 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 pact in itself consists of of uh, a number of legislative proposals, which are all very important and they're all relatively complex. Mm. I think what is important is that the European Union has realized that the old system was not functioning. 
in the old system and the system we still have now, it seems to be people smugglers who decide who can enter the European Union rather than EU member states deciding yeah. who can enter the European Union. And this is because paying a people smugglers sometimes up to $5,000, $6,000 to, mm. to risk your life, as you already said, on the Mediterranean, is an automatic entrance ticket to the European Union. And I think the European Union has realized now that that has got to change. So yeah. in the new pact, you already spoke about better solidarity within the European Union, but it also really enforces our operations at the external borders of the European Union. So in the yeah. new system, the idea is that everybody who arrives at the external borders of the European Union will initially stay at the external border. We'll have a screening there, which is one proposal. We'll check your identity, your health, security check. And then we make a distinction between uh, people coming over to the European Union that are likely in need of international protection. Right. And we will make Asylum. sure those people will be divided evenly across the European Union. Right. And we make a division between uh, people coming over who are not in need of international protection, people coming from countries with a very low recognition rate, countries like Morocco, Bangladesh, uh, Guinea, uh, Ivory Coast, Tunisia itself. Right. And those, this group of people, so those who are not entitled to asylum, most likely they will stay at the external border in a border procedure, which is accelerated and can then also be returned from the border. Mm -hmm. So then the pact is basically improving the way we managed migration internally and improving solidarity and responsibility sharing in okay. the EU, while at the same time, we make sure that we make a division between those people arriving at Euro's border that really need our help and those that come for other reasons. And okay. I think that, that's the, 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 the main gist of it. Now, this agreement, this pact, is not yet in the bag, right? It still has to be negotiated, doesn't it, uh, Lena? And uh, and uh, up to now, we've been hearing a lot, uh, a, bit, a bit of foot dragging, quite a bit of foot dragging from Hungary and Poland. But now with the new election there uh, and uh, with that referendum that failed, what does that indicate? Does that indicate maybe less resistance? Well, I wouldn't exactly say less resistance because the discussion itself needs to be done. Uh, and we need to still go forward with the discussion at European level because like you just said, uh, we are not there at a concluded pact yet. So yeah. we're still in the negotiation phase. Yes. We're very tied to, um, to, to an end, um, quite tied to an end, so to say, but um, we're still in the phase of concluding the agreements, of course. We have mm. the, um, we have the um, roadmap, which was concluded by all three institutions, and everyone needs to abide to that, of course. Um, but when you look at what changes uh, and what had changed with the past weekend uh, with the elections in Poland is that when you actually look a bit closer at the referendum, it was diverted away from, I think, at, at around 40 percent. Yes. And you could have and should have needed 50 percent. So yeah. it was a clear message also from the from the people that actually they are really looking for a solution, but they are not looking for a populistic short-sighted solution, but really work on the ground with the things that we have. And this, right. we, of course, need to use for the European so discussion a, a, as well. A positive indication. But now, 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 um, Jeroen, you talked about traffickers now, but you know, uh, can well, we really... You want to add something to that? First on this, okay, because it, like Lena says, it is of crucial importance that, that we do conclude this pact right now. Right. Uh, we all remember 2015, 2016, we had a huge crisis. Yeah. We all went into the European elections 2019 with empty hands. 
migration is an issue that has been uh, on the top of the minds of European citizens for the past uh, seven, eight years. But we cannot afford to have a European election campaign in 2024 where we again have to tell the people, uh -huh. I'm sorry, but we didn't manage to solve it. So yeah. we need to solve it now. We have a couple of months left yeah. uh, to do so. And we, and this is also our commitment from the EPP, we will do everything in our power, day and night, Saturday, Sundays, it doesn't matter, to get this pact done. Yeah, so the clock is ticking on that. But the traffickers, you mentioned the traffickers and uh, how they're making lots of money from that. But uh, there are others who argue, some who argue, that no matter what you do about the traffickers, these migrants will keep coming. I think it's, it's an illusion to, to promise anyone or, or to even want it as a, as, a, as, a, as a future view that we're going to stop migration altogether. Right. There will always be uh, uh, people who will find a way to come to another country even if they don't have the necessary papers. Mm. But the way it happens now, where people are dying in the desert, people are dying on the Mediterranean, because they have put their fate in the hands of unscrupulous people smugglers whose only interest is to make a business model out of the vulnerability of people. And this needs to be stopped. And we have a, uh, an action plan against people smuggling here in the European Union. It's important we support that. But the truth is also that if you really want to um, uh, uh, fight people smugglers, mm you need to cooperate with the countries of origin and transit. You yeah. need to cooperate with the authorities there, and you need to operate with, cooperate with the communities and offer those communities a different perspective. Yeah, exactly. That's, that leads me to my next question. And, and, and Lena, I think it's especially interesting to ask you because you were in the Bundestag uh, in, in 2015 when you saw that first wave of migration during the Syrian conflict. Uh, and just lately, we see uh, Spain says that in the Canary Islands, over 8,500 came in October alone. Over 23,000 since January, that's up 80%. Frontex says it's in part because of a push factor from political instability in nearby Senegal. So a, a lot of people are fleeing uh, political instability, you know, wars, dictators, climate change. Are we doing enough to deal with those roots? causes? Well, actually, probably let me divide it a bit in two parts, yeah, it's because quite we discussed a lot thing, on yeah. the pact, on the internal dimension of the European Union, but okay. integral to the pact as well, and we've been advocating for that for quite a long time as EPP, is that we also have the external dimension of the pact. And yeah. I would say what we need to do and what we're trying to do with the pact is somehow to establish this line of responsibility in order to cooperate better with countries of, of transit, countries of origin, um, in the sense of the European Union will not be able to flee out of their geographical position. We will sure. stay there where we are, yeah. which means, of course, we need to elaborate more and in a more, let's say, in a more integral part also, that the Team Europe uh, approach that we have at European level for this uh, term um, first, that we concentrate on how to bring together the instruments we have at hand in order to help the um, uh, countries of origin, countries of transit, address the root causes that in the end lead then to the movement to the European Union. And this is, of course, an important part of the, of the pact of the external dimension yeah. as well. So that means 
development that means it means development it of course also means uh, means um, economic uh, support it yeah. also means discussions about whether we can use legal migration as a toolbox as a tool in the toolbox uh, okay. as well uh, which is of course a bit sidelined mm. or, or side on the side of the pact than right itself. right uh, another aspect is about the humane treatment uh, of asylum seekers and and you you mentioned about the third countries uh, there is that agreement with Tunisia uh, that some are questioning uh, because the government has is is, uh, been criticized for not mm. being entirely democratic. Um, how do we deal with that? How do we ensure the humane treatment in, in countries like Tunisia? You know, I would love to have a situation where the European Union is surrounded by model democracies. Unfortunately, this is not the case. Yeah. And if the European Union could only cooperate with countries that have the exact same level of democracy and rule of law as we have internally, then we cannot cooperate with anyone. <laughs> so the, 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 the reality is that we need to cooperate with these countries. And I am a, a strong believer in the fact that we can improve reception conditions. We can improve the safety of people in Tunisia and in other countries much better when we cooperate with these countries, mm. instead of when we're saying, we don't like you, shutting them out. Do, do your own thing, we will not get involved. Uh, yeah. It's an illusion to think that people in Tunisia would be treated better if the European Union would say, we will not cooperate with you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we well, need look at this. Turkey. No, we're dealing with Turkey too, right? That's not entirely And uh, if you look at Turkey, either. in Turkey, the European Union has invested heavily mm. Uh, over 6 billion euros in the past years to help Turkey uh, receive mm. refugees from Syria and other countries in a yep. humane way where kids can go to school, where they get the health care they need, etc., yeah. etc. Et and this is exactly what you need to do with third countries as well. But the, the reality is you need to do it together mm. if you want it to succeed. Yeah. And, and then what about Frontex? Frontex, we have, I just saw last, at last word, about 2,700 standing officers. We want to get it up to 10,000 by 2027. That's a long time. How can we speed that up? I mean, they're supposed to be there to help the national governments deal with yeah. uh, crises, yeah. right? I mean, I think when you look at it from the EPP point of view, we've been always advocating for a strong agency. We've been always fighting for um, a proper functioning agency right. uh, who can do right. um, the job on the ground, which is a very sensitive one. Yes. Um, and we've seen a lot of discussions around that. But the very core essence of, of the agency is whatever we can do to support them, to strengthen them, we need to do because they're an integral part of our external security and internal security, of course, as well. So we need them in our portfolio uh, of dealing with uh, security questions and, and, and crisis. So whatever we can do to support Frontex needs to be done. When you look at the, um, the, the building up of the standing core, of course, we are at a, at a comparatively low level for the time yeah. being compared <clears throat> to the time when it was decided. But it also needs a lot of training. Uh, we cannot send someone around uh, who hasn't been trained. So mm. we are a bit in limbo there mm. in order to guarantee the quality and the support for the officers themselves because they are out there on the border defending the European Union and they need to be equipped for that. They need to be trained for that. Right. Uh, and at the same time, we need to speed up the process as such um, in order to get more member states on board in fulfilling their promises also to the European agency mm -hmm. in sending officers. Uh, so it's also right. a question where member states can do 
more than they're actually doing now because in the end we need everyone on board everyone in order on board. to protect the border. Now, uh, I got to raise the issue of pushbacks because Frontex came under fire for that, uh, being complicit with some countries that were doing that. Um, does this pact deal with that at all or is that something separate that needs to be dealt with, right? Well, the, the, the pact, of course, in every separate part of the pact, it is very clear that whatever the EU or EU agencies or member states do has to be in line with international agreements yeah. and international law. Uh, and this includes that the principle of non refoulement needs to be respected, etc. Yeah. Uh, etc. Et is, is well, well, you, sending you, back. You cannot send back is, people to yeah. a country without a process yeah. if their safety is at risk there. But the question is, of course, whether this, this is the case. Uh, uh, Lena is the, the chair of the, the Frontex Scrutiny Working Group here in the oh, Parliament. Perfect. This group has done an, uh, a, a very uh, deep investigation into some of the allegations and had to conclude in the end, which was voted here in the Parliament as well, that there is no proof of, of direct involvement of Frontex in yeah. these kind of, of uh, pushbacks. Also, we see that Frontex now has new leadership, very yeah. focused on the yep. operational side of, of business, right. very focused on this very important point that Lena makes, that yes, we need to get to 10,000 border guards, but they need to be well-trained, well-equipped yeah. to do their job, because you better have 5,000 really well-equipped border guards than 10,000 people who don't know what they're doing. Yeah. So yes, as quick as possible, but as good as possible. And I really think, and you hear this from everybody, that there is a, a breath of fresh air in, yep. in Frontex. They're really focused on their core task, uh, helping member states protect the borders of the European Union. Mm -hmm. okay. And maybe if I can just yes, shortly yes, add Lena, to that, please. because what we've seen in the past was that actually a political conflict of, around the question how to organize effective border controls with the principle of non-refoulement was actually placed on the burden of the agency, so on the officers on the ground. Uh, and this is something that we really urgently need to also address and where the Commissioner Johansson also needs to be a bit more flexible, I would say, mm. in picking that up, because it is indeed a very important question, yep. but we cannot wait for a court to clarify what actually is might be in five yeah. or ten years' time than the solution, because yeah, we sure. have the officers on the ground, and they need urgently need our political support and backing for what's mm -hmm. their task. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is yeah. very key. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I want for, to repeat that, yeah. because what Commissioner Johansson does, we have a regulation for border surveillance at yeah. sea. There are a number of provisions in that regulation that tell member states what they can and cannot do, but they're not very clear. Okay. Frontex asks Commissioner Johansson, could you give us guidance as to how to yeah. interpret this legislation? And Commissioner Johansson simply says, not my job, ask the courts. Uh -oh. And then we are in, in, in lengthy uh, procedures yeah. before we get any clarity and at the same time, member states, border guards, Frontex are left in, in, in the legal limbo and not sure what exactly they can or cannot do. And it's a complete denial of responsibility that mm. Commissioner Johansson has and that she should take. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, let's go further on this returns on the refoulement, as they say in French, that about a uh, figure here, 500,000 were ordered to return home, but the return rate is only 20%. I'm looking at some fig commission figures. How do you improve that beyond the 20%? It's, 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 it's a huge problem. Yeah. Uh, it's a huge problem. It has huge implications on the way we can manage migration. And in, in some individual cases, it has huge problems, uh, repercussions for security as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're in a week now where we've had two 
terrorist attacks in the European Union, yesterday in Belgium, Friday in France, both of the perpetrators had an asylum uh, request rejected yeah. and were told to return to the country of origin. Yes. Both stayed in the European Union regardless of our rules and regulations. So it, it has implications for the way we manage our asylum systems, but it can also have implications for our security. So we really need to step this up. We need to be more united in the European Union. We need to speak with one voice instead of 27 different national ministers with different interests traveling abroad to make individual deals. We need to speak with one voice, have a European Union agreed partnerships with countries of origin and transit that mm -hmm. also includes the return of people who do not have the right to stay in the European Union. We have these agreements uh, in many treaties. Mm -hmm. They're not uh, implemented in practice, and we need okay. to start doing that as soon as possible. Okay. I'm, I'm kind of running out of time, but I want to look at uh, integration, uh, the labor and skills gap that is uh, uh, that Europe is facing uh, as the baby boomers retire. It's two things, right? In fact, I mean, I saw a very interesting uh, economist headline saying, Europe is stuck in a need-hate relationship with migrants. Now, I don't, I don't expect you to say that, but uh, it, it is a dilemma, isn't it, Lena? Well, actually, I indeed wouldn't choose that word, <laughs> yeah, of sure. course, but um, the question is whether um, you said something about there are two sides. Yeah. Uh, so you have um, asylum, and you have migration, in brackets, legal migration. And mm. these are completely different things. So when you look at asylum, it's a protection tool. When you look at legal migration, it's something that we, that where we are not reacting to an external shock to a certain extent, mm. but we can have a productive, a proactive approach to it, meaning that we can set the criteria on which kind of um, ways legal migration and also labor market integration then is possible. Um, and we also have a regulation on that. We also have discussions on that, which are part of the legal migration package, um, so to say, where we clearly say that it needs to be the member states who really then can say um, who is needed yeah. at national labor markets and who can come under what conditions. Right. Um, what we can do at European level is, of course, speed up procedures, digitalize procedures, yes. so that, that member states are faster in approaching those people they want to. And what we can do is support the matching of labor market needs and skills of those who are interested to come. Uh, but it needs to be separated then, of course, from asylum uh, as such, because it's a different, completely different group, completely different interest. in Right. There. And coming back to the pact, does the migration pact deal with that directly or is that something on the side? Not, uh, not directly, but yeah. uh, next to the migration pact, there is also a legal migration pact. Uh, Lena oh. is, is much, much more into the details than I am, okay. uh, where we also talk about this need for um, improving our efficiency when it comes to legal migration. And of course, what is very important, if you're going to make partnerships with third countries, many of the third countries are interested yep. in possibilities for legal migration as well. So mm -hmm. it should also be a topic on the discussion table uh, in those kind of settings. But Lena is, uh, is, is the expert in the EPP on this. Okay. I, I think we ought to wrap this up, lightning round between the two of you. What's the next step? I mean, we see a European Council meeting coming up. That's going to be a big uh, a key move in, uh, in getting that migration pact uh, on the rails. Uh, Lena, any? Well, well, of course it is. Eh? I mean, like Jeroen just said a few <clears throat> minutes ago, it's uh, whatever we can do to drive this forward, we will do as EPP. Mm. So whether it's Saturday, Sunday, day and night, we will do our utmost to really conclude by the end of the year, by the end of the term. Yeah. So um, 
there will be a lot of work that needs to be done in all three institutions, by the way, uh, meaning that also the member states need to live up to that. But of course, also here in the House between the political groups, we really need to get this done because, as Jeroen just said, we promised to deliver on that. Yeah. So it's in a prerogative that we do so. Uh, Jeroen, uh, yeah, last word. Do you think there's enough consensus <clears throat> in this House and also among the EU27 uh, heads of state, the Council, to make this happen by the end of the year? I, I mean, the we are we are further ahead than we ever were in the past eight years. So I am positive. And I'm also positive that in this house, we will not find consensus. We will never find consensus, mm. but we will find a constructive majority of pro-European parties that will get this over the finish line. Okay, great. Uh, Lena, Jeroen, thank you so much. And thanks to all thank of you. you for watching, you. Uh, listening. This is the EPP Group's talk on migration uh, at EPP Group for the social networks and eppgroup.eu for more information. I'm Chris Burns. See you next time.